All right, let's uh, take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 13 as we continue on with this particular epistle. Looking toward the end here. We get these practical applications from doctrine. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I'm going to spend time on one verse this morning. So I'm going to be going other places, and I'd like you to follow when I tell you to, because I want to bolster this verse up with things that are in other parts of the Word of God. Let's pray before I look at the passage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the great privilege to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that we'd never, ever take it for granted that we even have it in our hands and are able to open it and own one and more Bibles and commentaries and books that speak about you. I thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray that we'd always consider the most important time of worship when the Word of God's broken open. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us attentive hearts and minds and help us, Lord, to pay attention and to put ourselves in the equation And then at the same time, Lord, want to practice what we're hearing. And I pray this in your precious and great name. Amen. Verse number 17 of Hebrews 13. Read it with me, along with me. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, when I read a passage of Scripture like this, I think to myself that we as Christians are more connected to each other and more responsible to each other and to the Lord than we care to realize or admit. There was a naturalist named... S.L. Bastian, who tells of a certain kind of spider that builds his nest in a branch of a small tree or a bush. In this little delicate enclosure, the baby spiders are usually hatched. If the nest, is, the nest is disturbed in any way, the little spiders will rush out in fright. At once the mother goes to her side. She is alerted by their potential danger in a very very most unique manner. Each one of the little ones has a little silky strand attached to it. And all these threads are joined to the the mother from the baby. So when an enemy threatens and the babies naturally scurry off, giving their lines a sharp tug on the mother, and then this instantly alerts her to pull them back to the nest and protect them. Now I say that for this reason, that in God's church, we have been connected to each other through Jesus Christ in a way that's going to take us not only from this very moment, but into eternity together. We will be meeting each other from time to time in places that we may not think. Now, the Word of God 
often refreshes our mind as to his design for his church and how he wants it to function in a manner that pleases him. That is why I put this message, Honoring Church Leaders, under the second part of the main title, A Christian's Acceptable Worship. And the reason why I did that is because if you remember from last message, the one reason why we offer sacrifices to God is because it pleases Him. Well, the reason spiritual church leaders and the congregation are to harmonize with one another is because it pleases God. Because that's the way God designed it within the congregation is love that comes from Christ. Within the congregation is harmony and unity that come from the Spirit of God. And in the congregation is a one-mindedness that comes by hearing regular preaching from the Word of God that gets us all on the same page. And it brings us all to the same place. So if it pleases God, then it's acceptable worship. So this morning, I would like you to take notice of really two things. The first one is this, the function of church leaders to the congregation. Verse number 17, the second part of verse number 17, if you notice what it says there, simply that after obey your leaders and submit to them, that's your job. It says, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let me just look at that for a minute. They keep watch over your souls. Now, there's only two groups of, in Scripture that I could think of in reference to people who keep watch over something. One group is shepherds. They keep watch over the sheep. A second group is watchmen. They keep watch over a city or a group of people and warn them if the enemy is coming. Well, that's exactly what church leaders do. Church leaders, first of all, it says here, they function as shepherds caring for the flock. And what do they... They keep watch over, it says there, your pukse, your soul, your life. That's pretty significant to think that here in this passage of Scripture that church leaders watch over what you possess as eternal, and that is your very soul. That which, is, which most bears the image of God, that which is eternal, that's a heavy and a great responsibility. It's like when, when the Lord said, uh, gave the warning about merely living your life for things when he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So church leaders are given responsibility over the eternal part of you, your souls. The things that are going to live on, the things that are going to be living in the presence of God, the thing in you that never dies, who you really are. Now, 
How in the world are they going to keep watch as shepherds? How do they do that? Well, they do that, first of all, by feeding the sheep spiritual food. That's their main job, is to feed the sheep spiritual food. Why? Because when you become a Christian, your mind is not spiritual. Your mind is natural and earthly, and so therefore God has to push out everything you, you learned and put out everything uh, put back in everything that you need to learn and push out all the old stuff. That's what he's doing. He does that by the word of God so you can have the mind of Christ. So the sheep are to be given spiritual food and they're to be declared as Acts chapter 20 verse 27 says the whole purpose of God and where it says in the word of God I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So the letter also, the Thessalonians can aid us here when Paul told the Thessalonians and give you instruction. Give the sheep instruction. Train them by the word. The saints need instruction. And for this purpose, the Lord has not only sent the Holy Spirit and his word, but has given as gifts to the church evangelists and pastor teachers. So, how are spiritual leaders to give out the whole counsel of God? The Bible's a big book, right? And there's a lot that God says in the Word of God, and there's different ways that people may teach the Scripture, but the best way, the best way is by preaching. And by a specific kind of preaching, expositional preaching. And preaching is about receiving God's word and communicating it to God's people in a way that's faithful to God's intention. In other words, getting the meal to the people without messing it up. Serving the table without spilling it. And so that's what you want to do. Now, for an understanding of what expositional preaching or teaching is, I want you to turn to Nehemiah for a minute. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Just two quick verses here, but I want you to notice two things because I want to look at Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah 8 and then Jeremiah 23. So turn to those two things because I just want to give you a background a little bit about what is expositional preaching. Nehemiah kind of gives us a positive example here of expositional teaching. And it says in verse number 7, where it starts there, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Now, in these two verses here, we get about three things. Number one, the content of their preaching is God's revelation, not their own ideas. So their preaching is prophetic. In this sense, they receive God's word and they give it back to the people. It says there they read from the book and they, where do they read from? Not just any book, the book of the law. That's where they read. And then secondly, there was a method in their preaching. It says the Levites explained the law, so their preaching is to explain the meaning and the significance of a portion of God's word to the people. And then there was an effect of their preaching. 
And it was to give a sense so they understood the reading. See, God wants us to understand what's in the Word of God. So the effect of their preaching is that the people understood so they can obey. They understood so they can do what God says. They understood so they would see life through God's eyes and through, through God's perspective. They would begin to develop a biblical worldview on what God wanted. And when you do that, and God begins to transform your mind, everything changes in your life. So see, the only way for shepherds to teach you is by giving out to you on a regular basis the Word of God and just keep going through Scripture because you need to know the Word of God. But there is another example in Scripture found in Jeremiah chapter 23, and this is the neg negative example. This is how not to do it. But believe it or not, most people do it this way. In Jeremiah 23, in uh, several passages here, but look at verse number 16. He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 23, 16, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. So here is a group of prophets, would-be prophets, right? And the content of their preaching is their own imaginations, their own creations. That's what they're bringing to the people. They're bringing primarily their own anecdotes and illustrations, and those are not the things that grow you spiritually. Those are not the things that actually make honor God, they actually displease God. So you need to know God's word. A second thing about their preaching in verse number 18 of Jeremiah 23, it says, but who stood, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Now these are two questions, that he should see and hear his word. Who has given heed to his word and listened? In other words, he's asking the question, do you guys come to the word of God and get God's point of view and then tell it to the people? No. Your method is they refuse to stand in God's counsel to hear God's word. And then there's an effect of that kind of preaching. And it says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 21 and 22, I did, not, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. So the effect of their preaching failed to turn people back to the ways of God. So those are the two ways that things from God can be communicated. Now that, of course, is the wrong way. So the, the, in a nutshell, expositional preaching is that which expositional preaching by spiritual leaders is this. It constrains their words to the parameters of God's word. It gets them to stand in the counsel of God and bow under God's word. It gets them to speak God's word to God's people so that they will walk in God's ways. So spiritual church leaders as shepherds are mainly to teach people God's word. That's their job. 
that's what we're to do. Not waste your time with other things, but to teach the Word of God. But a second thing, going back to Hebrews, is that they are to be, if they're going to watch over your souls, souls, they're not only going to be shepherds, but they're going to be watchmen. All right, And a watchman functions as a sentry, as a guard over the flock. Like Hebrews 13, 17, for they watch over your souls. They guard your souls. They watch over it. And of course, how do they do that? By being faithful watchmen. They are responsible for the well-being of the sheep. And they do that primarily in two ways. They warn them again with the word of God. Ezekiel 3, 17. Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, warn them for me. And then, of course, to guard you. A sentry guards. And how are we to guard you? Well, guard you from false teacher or savage wolves, as it says in Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure, Paul said, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And then, of course, in Hebrews 13, verse number 9, he just got done telling us, do not be carried away by, vary, by varied and strange teaching, right? For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods and so on and so forth in that passage. So he already warned there. And matter of fact, in Hebrews, there's warnings all over the place. Four or five warnings about receiving the gospel correctly and believing it and following it and not laying it aside or ignoring it or developing some other way of salvation. No, but to follow what God says. So it's really used as, as a... The word of God is used as a, by a century as a warning to guard over God's people. In fact, this illustration does come from Ezekiel chapter 33 where the watchman was set in front of the city and if the watchman, who usually stood on the wall of the city, saw an enemy come, he would take his trumpet and blow the trumpet and warn the people in the city, the enemy is coming, a certain sound from the trumpet and the people would get ready. That was his job to do, to warn the people about the enemy. Now, if the people heard the trumpet and said, ah, it's not a big deal, I'm just going to go about my life, well, then it's their responsibility. But if the watchman falls asleep, if the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and the people don't get the warning, then, then it's his responsibility. In fact, it says this in Ezekiel Chapter 33, verse 8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if, on your part, you do warn them, and the wicked man turns from his way, then, of course, the watchman did his job. The wicked man heard and therefore, the response was correct. So the responsibility is with those who tell the warning, and the responsibility is also to those who hear the warning. So it's the responsibility of those preaching, teaching, 
and it's the responsibility of those hearing. The responsibility is both ways before God. Now, why is that? Well, look in Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says this, For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Those who will give an account. The word account actually means to give back a word. To give back a word. In other words, ministers are to give back a word to their Lord sometime in the future. Some kind of accounting that they're to give. A time we must meet again. I said that we're going to meet again. Well, there's a time we must meet one another before the chief shepherd. That means I will meet and you will meet before God. The responsibility, I says, is, is both ways we are definitely, sharply connected to one another. And so, therefore, we must meet there, and I must give an account, and the elders and the teachers of our church must give an account of our stewardship, of the service that we have rendered, and to what reception you have given to us, how you treated us, how you responded to the preaching how you followed the Lord, how you served in His church. So you must give an account of your own conduct toward your spiritual leaders in this passage. passage. I was reading some things on this, and Jonathan Edwards had a little a message that he preached uh, before he left his church after being there for 23 years. Actually, he was asked to leave the church. And he wrote this, commenting on, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it said, he said this, For then both you and I must appear together, and we both must give an account in order for an infallible, righteous, and eternal sentence to be passed upon us by him who will, who will judge us with respect to all that we have said or done in our meeting here and our conduct toward one another and in the house of God and elsewhere. End quote. He was very keenly aware before his people that he would give an account and they would give an account together. In that day, truth and right shall be made plain, being stripped of every veil of all error, falsehood, all unrighteousness, and injury shall be laid open and stripped of every disguise, all false reasoning will vanish in a moment as not being able to bear the omniscient glory and brightness of God. And then our hearts will be turned inside out and the secrets of them will be made to appear more plainly than our outward actions do right now. Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about that long enough, that's frightening. I think it's meant to be a warning in Scripture. It's meant to make us sober. It's not meant us to lay down what we're doing and leave. It's meant to get our attention and to say, your Christian walk is serious. Your Christian life and your service to the Lord and His church is of the highest importance to God. What you do, what you say, what you think is very important to the Lord. In fact, you will give an account for everything. 
How did you live your Christian life? In that beam of seat judgment where we're going to be judged by our works as to how we lived our Christian life. Not, of course, to attribute to anything that could save us, because it can't. That's all done by Christ. Well, let me drop that for a minute, and I'll come back to that. Let's go to the next part of verse number 17. Actually, it's the first part, and that's the function of the congregation to the church leaders. And it says in verse 17 that you're to, be, you're to give responsive obedience to the teaching of the Word of God, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. The first part of 17. Leaders meaning could mean also chief speakers here, those who are explaining and teaching the Word of God. So saints need the ministry of teaching and should attend faithfully the preaching of the word of god found in hebrews 10 don't forsake the assembly when i preach back in that passage of scripture that's a a key indication whether someone is serious about following the lord so often teaching that is most needed is that which is least desired So teaching should encompass the whole counsel of God. So the congregation is to give responsive obedience to the teaching of the Word of God. Now, how do they really do that? Well, I think the first way they do that is, is this, to be present when an elder is there to teach and instruct. If it's a requirement of a father to make sure that his table is spread with good food for his family, then the requirement of the children is when the bell rings to get to the table. Right? The meal's ready. Come on. Let's eat. Well, I, I don't know if that happens a lot in our day with all our schedule, crazy schedules that families actually come together and eat at least one meal a day. Do they do that today? That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's a great thing to do. We ought to be doing it, but we should be doing it. So therefore, it is the duty of all the sheep to be there, be ready, on time, in place, unless they're providentially hindered, right? Unless God intervenes and and somehow you can't make it there. A lot of the lame excuses that I hear about why people don't attend church or don't come to preaching are pretty, pretty bad. It was Al Martin who said, if you don't do that, then you are in open disrespect to the elders' teaching. If you don't do that, then you are in open rebellion to Christ himself. If you don't do that, then you grieve the author of the word of God, the Holy Spirit himself. If you don't do that, you actually rob yourself of the word of God. Of course, to be present with a right attitude. You can be in church bodily and not really be there. And I think with all this electronic stuff, I hope you're not surfing the net while I'm preaching because we do have internet access here. Hopefully you are, and not, you're not doing a Bible study too. You're listening. Or preaching is for listening. It's for engaging your ears so it gets to your heart. 
Not so you've you got all these 15 other things going on. No, put those out and be ready to hear the word of God. So be coming with the right attitude. Come to church with a God consciousness. Come to meet with God and in his, in his word. I love this. When I was preaching through Acts, I love this passage of scripture in, in Acts 10, 33, which says, So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then... We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Wow. People gathering together ready to listen. Isaiah said, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So come with the right attitude. And then come teachable. Come teachable. Come to church with the Thessalonian mindset, and better yet, the Berean mindset. And what was the Berean mindset? Well, Acts 17 says, Now these were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, for they received the word with great eagerness. That means readiness of mind. Examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. See, they came with reverent expectation they came with a clear, alert, ready mind. That's what they did. So then it is your duty to prepare yourself before you come to hear the Word of God. If not, if not, you're going to miss what the Lord has for you on that particular day. It could be an answer to your prayer. It could be, the Lord is going to make something clear to you that has been confusing to you over the years. It could mean that the Lord wants to rescue you from a fall into sin or rebuke you or correct some wrong way of thinking or strengthen you in your weakness or strengthen you by His grace or gladden your heart and make you more joyful than you were ever before because of the Word. Because this is a Word not from men but from God Himself. That's why exposition of God's word is important because it's not my word, it's his word that grow us. All I know is this. If a chief chef prepares a balanced meal of meat and potatoes with the proper carbs and proteins, vitamins and minerals, and his constituents are only prepared to eat hot dogs and fries, spiritual junk food, then what would the chef think? That I am a terrible chef because they don't want to eat my food, or maybe I'm in the wrong place. I thought I was in a fine dining establishment, but it ended that I found myself to be at a hot dog stand. And hot dogs are not the greatest source of nutrients for a healthy diet, are they? So in any case, it surely would not make those who are preaching the Word of God or those teaching the Word of God feel that they are appreciated or needed or honored in any way. It wouldn't do that. So how do you come? How do you come to church? How do you come when we meet together? I pray that after, after hearing the word of God that you will be prepared to come differently after today. So,
The Word of God simply is saying here, obey your leaders, and then it says something else. It says, submit to them. That you are to yield respectfully to their leading. Thessalonians says it like this, and they have charge over you in the Lord. That the Greek word for charge to have charge over is to have authority over. God's given them authority. There's really nothing about the person themselves. There's nothing about me or any other elders. It's the office that God gives us. It's the calling that they give el- God gives elders. See, by, by this authority over you, it's to be carried out with, within a certain sphere. And the phrase in the Lord tells us, it indicates the sphere in which the shepherds are to lead And their leadership is a spiritual leadership. So before you were outside the sphere of the living God, but now you are, because of Christ, in the sphere of the living God. Before you were outside of God, but now you are in connection with God. So see, we're all connected together because of Christ. So Christians are not simply people who have heard about God and trust Him They live in Him day by day. All their deeds are done in Him. All of them. So their leaders also lead in the sphere of matters that belong to the Lord. It was the book of Acts who records, Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To do what? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We're watching over your souls because you have been redeemed and bought from the slave market of sin by Christ's blood. So that means you are Christ's possession. That means you are very precious to him. We can't mess with you in a wrong matter. You understand that? You see how serious this is on both sides of the fence. My side and the elder's side of the fence and your side of the fence that we're actually there's no fence we're just connected so just saying that that elders must exercise their authority with sensitivity to the congregation and with the posture of servants and examples like we already looked at in verse number seven of hebrews 13 where it says remember those who led you who spoke the word of god to you considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith all right, so they are to lead in this way so you can follow them, so you can imitate them, so you can be an, be, uh, they can be an example for others to follow. Well, one other passage of Scripture before I, I continue on is 1 Thessalonians 5.13. It gives us some help in understanding to the implications of this particular imperative, and that's what it is. It's a command here. It's an imperative, and of course an imperative is a command, but this, 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says this, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So the responsibility of the congregation is to esteem them in high measure. That means the members are to have a willing spirit to be led and trained a willingness to obey that is reasoned obedience based on scripture to what measure are you to esteem them well it says to a superlative measure very highly carries the meaning of beyond all measure and then it says 
there to love them deeply. The extent of the obedience is to be excessive, and the depth of obedience is to be in love. The leaders God gives the members of a local church, the people are to value and respect because of their intrinsic worth, because of their job that God's called them to, and it's to be done in love. And then also in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, to keep in mind why are you to respond this way, it says because of their work. Highly esteem them because it is the Lord's work they do. It's not their own work. It's the Lord's work. And, of course, to stay in a right relationship with them, verse number 13, to live in peace with one another. The congregation's right relations with their spiritual leaders is essential to the maintenance of continued peace in our midst. This means at the get-go, the members submit to their spiritual leaders so peace could be maintained and forward progress can be made. So whenever there is faithful spiritual leaders and appreciative members, then the right conditions exist to lay the groundwork for spiritual success and progress in the work of the Lord. Those two things go together. Now, pastor and elders have responsibility to the congregation. The congregation has responsibility to the pastor and the elders. You're to obey the leaders and submit to them. We're to keep watch over your souls as those who are going to give an account. Now, why? Well, back to verse number 17. The reason why we should harmonize these two in this manner is for this reason. It says, let them do this with joy. All right, first of all, we give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So what I'm saying here is, why do you do it so that your spiritual leaders may give an account before the Lord with joy? So it would be profitable for you. That's why. We're going to meet again. Ministers are God's servants and messengers sent forth by Christ to their people on his business. Then at some time, spiritual leaders must return to their masters and give an account of what they have done and what took place in the performing of their duties and the response they received from their people. It is a good example of this was the accounting of God's servants that can be found in Luke 14. If you remember the story, without turning there, it goes like this. And he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one says, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said to him, I have found five ox, yoke of oxen. I'm about... Uh, I'm going out to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one says, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. In verse 21 it says, And the slave came back and reported to his master. There it is. The slave came back, gave out the message, and he's coming back to his master to report the response. 
Now, in this case, the response was excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Right? You think that's what the master wanted to hear? It says this then, in verse 21, Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Of course, that passage of Scripture is directed towards Israel. And the prophets that came to Israel, one after another, after another, after another, and they rejected their message, and they finally killed the prophets. And they killed Christ, who was also considered a prophet in the book of Hebrews. And they killed him too. See, so the response one gives to God's message, people will give an account for that. Spiritual leaders must give an account on their own behavior in the discharge of their office, and spiritual leaders must give an account of their people's reception of them and the message they gave as God's servants and messengers. Matthew 10 says, And he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. See, so those who receive them, receive them well, and contributed their gifts and time and resources to the building up of the church, to the advancement of the gospel, and have good evidence that they themselves are savingly connected to Christ. At that day, at the day of accounting, it will be joyful and profitable and a rewarding time for those who have been faithful. Not perfect, faithful. I tell you, when I came to this passage of Scripture, I didn't want to preach it. For this reason, I felt the weight and responsibility more than ever when I came to this passage. I says, you know what, that's a good place to cut off Hebrews. Let's just stop right there. We'll go to the next book, you know. And I just, I was just mulling over what this is saying. And I, I just began to become more sober about what God is doing here. That, you know, you serving and you worshiping and you listening to the word of God and me studying and the elders teaching and studying to bring you the word of God is the most serious matter. That's what we're going to come before God and give an account for. How we delivered the word of God and how you received the word of God. And then what did you do with it afterwards? What did you do with your everyday life? Did you take living your Christian life serious? Did you love Christ with your heart, whole heart? Did you serve him with your gifts? Or are you the ones who just, uh, you know what, pastor, I really want to do, but I got to do this and I got to do this and my family, this and this event's happening and all these things. You know what, God don't want to hear that. He wants to hear that you put him first and that he works things out in your life when you put him first. He takes care of, care of family matters. He gives you opportunity to witness to people. He does what you can't do when you put him first. 
So you can spin all the plates you want. You can. But I tell you what, when you put Christ first, you don't have to spin any plates. Because he is sovereign and providential over every circumstance in every one of our lives. And he is taking accurate account of everything we do. This is no game at all whatsoever. In fact, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, listen to what it says. It says, he asks a question. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? And this is how he, he, he says it with a, another question. Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our joy and glory. You. You're the reward. I'm the reward. We're the reward to each other before God. How we treat each other, how we responded to each other, how we grew in the Lord, what we did in our private time, what we did when we surfed the net, what were we looking at, what secret things are going on in our hearts, how we're blowing off the word of God, just acting like a believer or like a Christian, knowing just the right words to say, when to say them, who to say them to. No, that's not. If you're living that way, if that's what you've been doing, it's, it needs to change. Maybe it needs to start with real conversion. Maybe you need, need to really bow before Christ and his gospel and ask Christ to save you to give you a new heart. Because if you are displaying in your life things you always displayed or people display before conversion, then maybe there's never been conversion. But if you are converted, then you have to take seriously what the Lord's saying here that, listen, I have to give an account for you. And you have to give an account for me before the Lord because if you look at the passage of scripture again in verse 17 why are we to do these things why are we to harmonize congregation and church leadership leadership and congregation so that your spiritual leaders don't need to give an account before the Lord with grief which is unprofitable for you but those who caused faithful spiritual leaders trouble did not receive them or their message from Christ or the word of God it will not go well for them similar to what Christ told his disciples when they went out to preach the gospel of the kingdom in Mark chapter 10 whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or city. Shake the dust off your feet as judgment against them. And then it says, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day in the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than the day of judgment than that city. It's serious. It's, it's sober. And, and, and this... Uh, group of people that they 
book of Hebrews was a writ, originally listened, uh, written to, most likely a, mostly Jewish. He, he lays on them this accountability, which is very familiar to the, a Jewish mind, that I have to actually give an account of my work, my service. So spiritual leaders who are unfaithful, the people will at that day rise up in judgment against them for their wickedness. Faithful spiritual leaders will bear witness against their people's unholy behavior and any trouble or controversies they caused them. And so that means that perfect truth and balance shall take place in that sentence. Of course, the reason why is because Christ is passing the sentence. He's passing the sentence, and in his rewards he bestows, and in his punishments that he will inflict, it will be a great day of finishing and determining all controversies, rectifying all mistakes, and abolishing all unrighteous judgments, errors, confusions, which have occupied our life while we lived among mankind. So what will it be? Will it be an accounting of joy and rejoicing? Or will it be an accounting of grief and unprofitability? I pray that you and I will offer up acceptable worship to God that honors church leaders and church leaders that honor the word of God to give it back to you. And I know that those two things are pleasing to the Lord and are profitable for our growth, not only for our salvation, but for our spiritual growth. And what are we doing anyway? We're preparing each other for God's presence. We're and that's profitable. So see, the end result is profitability before God to those who are faithful to the things God calls us to do in this Christian life, in this race that he's called us to, that we really have no privilege to, to get off and sit on the bench. We're to keep running until we're finished, right? It's not whether you finished first, it's whether you finish at all. That's the point. It's, the, it's that great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, Right? You get saved and you persevere through trial, tribulation, valley, trouble. And God holds you up and you're learning the word of God and you're becoming more like Christ. And then before you know it, you're in God's presence. Isn't that what's all about? Isn't that what's going on? That's what's going on. And believe me, that is what we ought to think about every day. And that's how we live our life with great sobriety. That we must give an account for each other before God. Well, then verse number 18, which I'm not going to preach today, it says pray for us. After something like that, we need prayer <laughs> because, uh, because of, it is a serious thing. I just wanted to bring that to you today uh, and lay that before you. In the, in, the, in the time in which we live, in this world in which we live, 
that everything is so uncertain. There's so much insecurity. There's so much instability. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen tomorrow in the whole world. Well, you know what? When you come to the Word of God, whatever happens in the world, it's not going to change God's plan, right? It's not going to change what God's doing. God's going to carry out everything he said he's going to do, and he's going to finish it up. He's not only written the first chapter of the book, he's written the last chapter, right? And you're in the book. Let's finish together well. That's my prayer, that we finish together well. Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for the word of God. Even though, Lord, this section of Scripture had some great weight to it. I pray, Lord, it's so simple. In just one passage of Scripture, you laid out before us what we ought to do, both from a pastoral perspective and from a congregational perspective. And Lord, you have made us believers in Christ Jesus. You have connected us to each other. And Lord, I pray today that you would make us faithful and keep us faithful. That we would help each other to be faithful. Lord, that we would respond to the word of God. That you would continue from this place to give pastors and elders who faithfully preach the word of God. I pray that you would keep me in the seat faithfully studying the word of God so I can give it out. Help me to do that, Lord. Help me to do it better every day. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give our people listening ears, responsive hearts, people who love the word of God and tremble at it and love it because they know the word of God corrects them, builds them up, makes them like you, prepares them for your presence, and just even allows them to know things that they could never know if they weren't a believer because those things are found only in the scriptures. And so I pray, Lord, that together we would humbly bow before you and that we would thank you for the great privilege of being a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of having the word of God, for having this church, for having each other. And Lord, I pray that we would pray for one another to be faithful. And I pray, Lord, that on that day, it will be a time of great joy, rewards, and profitability. And I just ask you, Lord, that would be the case for us. Thank you, Lord, again. We just want to cast our care upon you, Lord. If there's anxiety and worry in our heart, please guard our heart and mind from these things and provide your peace that passes all understanding so we can think on things that are of good report, worthy of praise, things that are have to do with you and, and our relationship with you and what the word of God says. And I pray as, as we think on these things that our mind would be transformed more and more by your word and that we would learn every day what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Thank you, Lord, again. And I praise you in Christ's name. Amen.